Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. In the culture war, there are no winners, just podcasters. Only a few are willing to risk their lives in the face of some of the dumbest ideas to have ever captured human civilization. Every week, we, Megan Dom and Sarah Hader, humbly accept this mission to bring you conversations that are equal parts stunning, brave, and morally and drought-tolerantly landscaped. Welcome to A Special Place in Hell. Um, Sarah, you and I have a very special guest this week. Yes. Very, very special. Sam Harris, who needs no introduction to our audience, but in case uh, anyone just stumbled on uh, here. I'm happy to hear that. Nice to see no, you guys. You Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we do have that little spiel every time, and we have a different mm -hmm. uh, third adjective. So that was in your honor, morally and drought tolerantly landscaped. I didn't oh, fully good. understand it. No, she doesn't understand anything. Every yeah. half the references go right over Sarah's head. All right. Well, but, I'll I'll be as morally landscaped as I can be here. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um no, seriously, thanks for doing this. We know you're you're incredibly uh busy and pulled in many different directions. So we have a, a number of things we'd like to cover. I think some are fairly consistent with your interests, which is to say the role of religion in people's lives. And and I guess as I would define it, and Sarah as well, the, the shifting definitions of religion. Uh, we also have a number of questions from our listeners that we're going to relay. Um, okay. But I think first, we want to talk to you just about the the state of the heterodoxy, for lack of a better term. So Sarah and I started this podcast about a year and a half ago. And um, although we have a pretty solid vision of how to maintain integrity and dignity in this space, we also find ourselves competing against uh, people who have fashioned themselves as edgelords. And it's not really a fair fight. So I guess we were thinking we might start by asking you to reflect on this overall ecosystem of podcasters and substackers in the alternate media space these days and yeah. tell us how you well, think it's going. I'm, I, I'm worried about it. I think it's largely unhealthy. I think we have um, incentivized a, a level of contrarianism and, and uh, conspiracy thinking that is um, – just you know, at the fringe, completely deranged, and and that the people who get pulled to the fringe are, and it never ceases to surprise me, right? So they're they're people who had real reputation, real reputations. You'd think they'd want to protect, um, you know, real, you know, academic and intellectual bona fides to to stand on, and they have just, uh, I mean, now they're they're like, uh, I don't know what to compare it to. It's it's like a. Um, I don't know. It's almost like the crop circle phenomenon from the eighties. I was just you know, going to say, it's like weird thing happens, and and then you have all these people going all in on the most fantastical interpretations of something that is clearly fake, right? And then you know, it's just the in, the in this case, the other shoe really hasn't dropped in a way that where we can disconfirm all the the madness. But it's um, there, there's there's just enough truth to a lot of this this. Um, conspiracy thinking and, and this dis distrust in institutions 
that it's um, it's it's very hard to debunk, right? I mean, you could always find the 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 edge case where yes, the CDC lied or something, right? Or you know, there's these emails between whoever and whoever, and they they seem to suggest something sinister, or but then everything just catches fire in, in this, you know, in, out here in Podcastistan or or in Substackistan, you're incentivized to promulgate the most um, bizarre and uh, inflammatory possibility. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like the worst thing that can seem remotely plausible is the thing that people go all in on. And they, they find a signal in their audience that says, yeah, yeah, more of that. We want more of that. You're the only one brave enough to do that. And, right. you know, we're going to pay you for that. And then, and then, then you see a hundred podcasts later, that that's what they're now into, you know. So it's 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 very strange. I as far as guarding against it, I think you have to. Um, I mean, part of it's just a matter of, I guess, character and, and you know, intellectual integrity. And I mean, not to sound too self congratulatory, but I mean, it's, I think some people just have more of an inner bulwark against the temptation to sell out in that way and to, and I think, and conversely, I think some people just have a, a, um, an appetite for conspiracy thinking and the notion that power is always corrupt. Institutions are always corrupt. Everyone, everyone up, up above you in the hierarchy is always lying. You know, no one has good intentions, right? That there's, there are people who are just wired to, to view everything through that kind of lens and, um, you know, on the right and the left politically, I mean, these are the same sorts of people, even though they, they you know, before yesterday seemed committed to totally different projects. I mean, someone like, you know, Tucker Carlson and Glenn Greenwald, right? I mean, they're, they're so far, traditionally, they're so far apart politically. Now they're like a two-headed monster, right? You know, which is just um, pure pandering to this, to this, uh, what was that? Yeah. Well, would you say, I, I don't know if Glenn Greenwald is pandering, though. I don't think, I think he believes it. I think he's always, yeah, I know. It. Whatever it is I, that I, he, whatever I, I, rabbit hole is going I, down, he's fully committed to it. It's hard to know. I mean, I don't really have a theory of mind for many of these guys. I mean, those two people in particular strike me as quite unethical while being able to sell themselves as the, as some kind of paragons of ethical integrity to their audience. But they're they really are opportunists, and um, they're just. I mean, they're they're. they're I, I you know I I've been you know I've had various skirmishes with each of them, um, and uh, you know I, I came away feeling like these are basically sociopaths. Um, but so yeah, there's that. But there there are people there are people who just have a who I think are actually good people who. Who really are, you know, want to, who want to make the world a better place and are not malignantly selfish, but um, do have this appetite for the the non-standard explanation of everything, right? I mean, right. that the people who just read all the books about the JFK assassination and then mm -hmm. read all the books about how you know the, the Manson murders weren't what they seemed, and then went on to the it's like that that appetite is something I don't share. Now, the, and the, I'm not saying there. Those people are never right. They sometimes are, but 
it's it's a symptom. If you went all in on JFK and you went all in on 9-11 truth and now you're all in on COVID being a pandemic, I mean, you're, you're, off, you're RFK Jr. of some sort. You're some spawn of that kind. And it's it's a problem. It's not it's not an algorithm that that tracks truth reliably. Yeah. And it's also like statistically impossible that all those conspiracy theories would turn out to be true. I, I feel like if you're going to be a conspiracy theorist, pick a lane, pick one. Be coherent. And, and, and just make that, you know, get really good at that one and then accept that, you know, maybe everything else is just just normal. Like if you're a conspiracy theorist about every single thing, that doesn't that sort of don't they all cancel each other out? Uh, well, no, it's because I think it's it's born of this this underlying distrust of power and institutions. And um, it's also, it's, it's a kind of, again, I mean, you know, I'm not, a, obviously I'm not a clinical psychologist, but I detect in it, in most of these people, a kind of narcissism that is getting leveraged here. Where it's like, cause it really puts you at the center of the story. It's like, no one, like you, you alone in your room with your computer can just you know break open the 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 world right like you you can make history and you can't trust mm -hmm. no one all the powers that be that have all these um all these resources uh supposedly aimed at the truth are not only uh, incompetent they're they're actually lying most of the time or certainly much of the time and you you've seen this ray of, of daylight, uh, you know, you've detected the signal in, in the noise and the obfuscation and you can do this on your own. And you're really, you're, you're, I mean, you're riding into battle. Like you're, it's like a David and Goliath story and you're David and you're, you seem likely to win. And, you, and in the, in the current context, you have a, a pure channel of, um, adulation aimed at you on social media. Once you find your audience, I mean, have you seen, like occasionally I, I look, to see how one of these people is getting received by their audience. And it is just, you know, got uh, uh, an endless series of blowjobs by lunatics, right? I mean, it's just Oh, it's the awful. Beatles it's a, come to America. Yeah, it's heinous. Every time. I mean, time. it's just like, uh, like you can <laughs> see what's going, like these people are now siloed off in their own, you know, wet dream of credibility because they have thousands upon thousands of people telling them they're, you know, they're basically the messiah. And it's it's bonkers. Okay, so how do we achieve that? I guess that's yes. what we're asking. Right, well, then, yeah, you can. Uh, uh, There's some people I would I would recommend you study. They're uh, you know I'll I'll send you a few links and I think we ha I think we not have naming to. names. Yeah. Okay, wait. I have a question, but Sarah, I don't want to. Do you have anything you want to? Well, I mean, I, yeah, because I I feel like we're focusing on a lot on like, um, speakers yeah. and thinkers. But what's interesting about it is that it's happening to everyone. You know, it's happening to individuals. It's happening to, you know, the, all these closed communities. And Megan and I talk a lot about social contagion, the gender stuff, um, and how it's spreading. And what's amazing about it is that people are just, are just self-radicalizing in much the same way that these public speakers and thinkers are self-radicalizing. Um, but they don't have like a monetary incentive necessarily. Mm -hmm. They're getting a lot of other things out of it. Um, and I think maybe there's just a pull um, of this kind of media and platform and um, social communication that we've never experienced before. I, I think that what the reason that that question of like, ha, that Megan and I wanted to ask you that question 
like how to survive this is because my response to it is to almost to retreat, you know, to say that, okay, well, what's going yeah. on is a, is a hurricane out there of information. And here I see all these intelligent people, well-meaning people, people that I respect occasionally, many times even, you know, there are aspects of them that I respect and I see them fall for nonsense um, and then become deranged. And it's, it seems like, uh, well, if they could do it, if they could fall for this, then maybe I could fall for something. And I might not even know that it's happening to me because they don't seem to be aware that it's happening to them. So maybe the thing to do, the same thing to do is not to stand in the center of the storm and try and fight it and be as you know strong as possible and resist the winds, but to just you know get out of its path, hunker down. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I had to some considerable degree. I've taken that path. I mean, I have gotten off of social media, and mm. whenever I go back on it, I mean, occasionally I go back on X to just see you know a, a current event breaking. Right. So you know, I don't have an account anymore, but I I go. You know, I have. Um, I don't have a personal account, but you know we've got the basically the marketing accounts for the podcast and the app. And mm -hmm. so if if I um, it's really I mean it's it's amazing what's happened over there because I go I'll go into one of those accounts uh, to look at um, just at like the home feed, and I'm not not following anyone, right? So there's no the algorithm doesn't really know me because you know, we we don't really do anything other than we just put out uh, you know our stuff and we, we don't interact with anyone else's stuff and what i see on that home feed is just so toxic <laughs> and awful it's unbelievable like i mean literally i mean it's just like you know security cam footage of people getting shot and i mean it's just insanity right <laughs> yeah. you know like people having you know accidents where it's just um it's unbelievable so uh and then it's you know all the stuff that is is uh, you know the sort we're talking about you know conspiracy conspiracy adult people with huge platforms. Um, I don't you know I don't. I honestly I have to some degree just decided to to retreat into a a different kind of um, cadence of interacting with information. Right. It's like so mm -hmm. so, so when mm -hmm. I was on Twitter and something was happening. Or something came back at me on Twitter, because there's this and there's this perpetual invitation to react to it in the moment, right? Like, like okay, I can I can I can retweet this, I can comment on it, I can dunk on it, I can I can defend myself, whatever it is. Um, because that was that that open channel was always there. The temptation was always there, and I would either resist it or not by turns. But it it made me feel like okay the. the now my my digital life and my engagement with the world has to happen in these increments of like now 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 it's happening now you can respond now you go public right now you got the, you know you just just make sure there's no typo in it and now all of a sudden you're out there and it, and um i don't feel that anymore at all because i don't have a channel like that right it literally doesn't exist for me so for me now i just have to decide well do i want to talk about it on my podcast or do I want to do I want to write something about it? Uh, and that the cadence there is the fastest it ever gets is like once a week, right? So it's mm -hmm. like I, I so so and ninety nine percent of things don't survive the full week of of just deciding whether it's worth once I turn on the mic, you know, next Tuesday or whatever. 
you know, is it is is that thing still top of mind to comment on? And yeah. um, the, the answer is almost always no. And so that's a that that becomes a kind of filter that really does, you know, in my experience, uncouple you from this collective derangement. I mean, I, I get that. Yes, it's possible. Now I'm still talking to someone who's creating content for an audience as opposed to just consuming other people's content. And I, and I know that you know, people who are just purely consuming are also getting deranged. But um, there, I just think, you know, as much as it's true that our institutions have shown signs of of uh, decrepitude, uh, you know, the New York Times, the Atlantic, they, they you know, these, these uh, uh, marquee uh, journals are... I don't know. If, I don't know if they're truly less reliable than they used to be, but there's this pervasive sense that they're. Yeah. The, 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 we have to worry. I mean, Megan, you might have a, a more informed well, opinion I know. about I, that, but I, I think people have a hard time distinguishing the opinion section from the news reporting. I mean, the the New York Times right. does excellent journalism. I mean, if they're going to do war reporting, I don't particularly have a reason to distrust it. Um, but unfortunately, right. so many resources and so many eyeballs are on the opinion pages that that that's the stuff that gets the most attention. And then you have all the kind of, um, you know, the the sort of the stuff like the arts and culture and book reviews and, and any kind of cultural commentary is also infused with this, you know, great awakening uh, sensibility, whatever you want to call it. And so I think that, you know, people get totally overwhelmed by the stuff that is not the serious reporting. And so the New York Times is just kind of written off as some kind of like re re repository of fashionably uh, far left progressive ideas when that's not the, the case. Mm -hmm. And in fact, like if the New York Times wasn't doing reporting, uh, we would be missing a lot of reporting out there. Right. Yeah. So I don't know what they expect to happen, but, you know, abolish the New York Times is is no more, uh, um, you know, useful proposition than abolishing the police. Yeah. Yeah. Although uh, the problem of of bias, um, even on the news side, predates the, the Great Awakening, right? because I, whenever you when you really know an issue when that becomes your thing, then you can begin to see how distorted things get. And and, and I think people uh, have had, are more aware of that experience. I mean, I, I, I first remember it when I was covering, you know, Islamism and jihadism, you know, back, you know, now 20 years ago, right? And and I would see, you'd see a terrorist attack reported uh, very much on the news side of, of the firewall over at the New York Times. And it was reported in such a way as that you couldn't even figure out the you know the the, the religious identity of the the perpetrator as though as though, as though maybe you know the mm -hmm. an anglican had you know blown himself up on the subway on 77 you know it's like like it's just there there's the there was a reluctance to be straightforward about the, that particular problem and it's not it's not that it didn't the truths the facts didn't eventually break through they did i mean you couldn't you just simply couldn't write article after article obfuscating mm -hmm. the obvious but you know i mean there there were articles written where it's like you know the details were you had someone you know shouting allahu akbar and blew himself up in a crowd and you know there's some line about you know the, the motive is completely completely inscrutable still and 
you right. know, so like it's yeah. just. I, I get yeah, what you're saying. So. I get what you're saying. Um, I mean, I would, I, I've actually been pretty impressed with like news organizations like Reuters. I mean, real mm -hmm. vanilla, generic kind of uh, reporting institutions seem a little bit better. But yeah, it's really hard to tell. And if you don't have a particular expertise in the subject, you're, you're not going to notice it. That That's absolutely true. I mean, yeah. I want to, getting back to this, I know you're not a psychologist, but um like, you know, the, the sort of conventional wisdom about people who fall for conspiracy theories is that they are so unable to imagine the unimaginable and the truly horrific that they invent these kinds of um, these these kinds of rationalizations like the, the idea of six year olds getting murdered at Sandy Hook is so deeply disturbing right. that it's easier to say this whole thing was made up than to actually sort of metabolize an event like that. Do you think that's too simplistic of an explanation? Yeah. I mean, I've heard that explanation applied to that, that special case. Um, I, I'm not sure it generalizes. I mean, I sort of, sort of get that. I mean, it, it was that kind of thing, that thing in particular was so horrible that it's easy to see that it would be somehow consoling to think that no, no, it didn't really happen, or it's 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 not nearly as bad as it seemed, etc. But uh, I don't see people doing that. I, I see I see conspiracy-minded people capable of thinking absolutely horrific things, even you know arguably worse things. I mean, you've got you got QAnon organized around this idea that there's a a a sex cult of not only not only pedophiles but pedophile cannibals. Right. You know, they're yeah, they're raping and killing and eating children. Right. Or, you know, taking adrenochrome from their bodies or whatever it is. Right. So it's it's just it's, it's as bonkers and uh, malignant a fantasy as you could imagine, really. And and there seems to be no no limit in that in what people are. Yeah. Although I mean, I feel like I know sort of like semi reasonable people who doubt 9-11 like i feel like they they really can't what do you mean imagine doubt? it being true oh yeah i know i know people i know sarah's one of them is that what you're saying holograms <laughs> she believes the plans are holograms we're gonna get to that in a second yeah. no i mean i know people who really it's, really it's great to get the people who they're the people who are all in on it being a conspiracy and you know the, the, the george bush administration did it and etc but for them, the hologram people are total embarrassments, right? So it's great yeah. to see the divisions even within the, the crack yes. pottery. It's, yes. it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, just the you know the idea that this that this could have happened, it almost it it defies their imagination. So they make up an even crazier thing, um, mm. and also just you know the the arguments that I've had with people usually come down to like, how can you believe that anybody let alone a government organization is organized enough to keep this a secret for so long. I mean, that's what's so mind boggling that somehow thousands mm. of people were in on it, but nobody has spilled the beans. Mm. Well, what, one you know. thing is that people don't, there's an asymmetry here between the, the cause and the effect and people don't tend to like, uh, or they tend to doubt the, the idea that a, a seemingly banal, cause could produce this catastrophic effect. I mean, the idea that 19 guys with box cutters could have brought down the Twin Towers, right, and, and pitched us into a multi-decade you know, clash of civilizations, right? Like that, that just doesn't seem credible somehow. It's got to be, the cause has got to be bigger, given how big the effect was. And right. 
Um, so yeah, so the idea that like little mistakes can't compound or you know, it's, it's, again, it's, it's the, I, I do think this aphorism, uh, made for the internet age that I forget who, who authored it, even if we know that you ne never ascribe to, to, um, malice, what can be explained by incompetence or some version of that. Right. I mean, there's incompetence, it covers for a lot. Right. And yet, uh, people imagine that for, for our systems to fail that catastrophically, it required the conscious collaboration of, of evil people on our side. You know, we had to, we, those buildings couldn't have fallen down when you, when you plow fully fueled passenger jets into them. No, that's because, you know, the jet fuel doesn't burn hot enough to melt steel. So we, we had to have rigged them to explode. And just, and you imagine what is detailed is required there. So, you know, thousands of thousands of psychopaths deciding to murder their neighbors, right? It it makes no sense, but still, it's still there was one moment. I don't know if it's it can't possibly be true now, but there was a poll done, you know, fifteen years ago, and it was sixteen percent of Americans claimed to believe some version of nine eleven truth, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's always an amazing number of people who will say, yeah, yeah, that might be that might be true, and I certainly don't believe the the official story. Mm -hmm. uh, so sixteen or sixty? Six, sixteen. Yeah, 60% of Americans claim to believe to claim to believe that uh, the twin towers were brought down by our government. Okay, well, if they pulled um people uh, related to me by blood, it would be a lot more than 16. Let's just put it that right. way. Yeah, I've got one. Just I've saying. got one too. Yeah, I, I know this, <laughs> it might this be particular theory intimately because I've gone round and round with a family member about this one. It's good practice it's though, isn't it? Consternation of everybody. Everybody should have a everybody should have a family member like that because it keeps you on your mm -hmm. toes. So. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know about that, but uh, isn't um can't even be even more simple than that? Just a a fear of fear, you know, like not even a. a, a I think calling it a failure of imagination or of you know of reason might be overselling it because I don't think what's happening is at all related to the reasoning capacities. It's just it's. It's a terrible thing to contemplate, not just an impossible or difficult thing. It's just it 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 is horrifying to imagine that just a couple of guys could do this in our country. Mm. But so I, the I, don't, I don't thing... think it's I think the, no? the the conspiracy theory is actually more horrifying when you I, I think that that's why I, I doubt this thesis that it's mitigating terror on is some it? level, because it's I mean, which is worse that. Yeah, Al Qaeda actually did this successfully. They try many things, but and but only one thing really worked. Or that in our own government, our own neighbors, like we're it, we're in the, you know invasion of the body snatchers, and we and people who seem like normal people, good people even, uh, people we've elected it to power, people who went to Ivy League institutions, people who you know work for the Air Force, all these people decided to collaborate in the pointless murder of 3000 Americans for what? I mean, so like, and, and it's, it's, and they've, they've collaborated perfectly and they, they, they all have clear consciences. And I mean, just when you go down each one of these rabbit holes and get the details, like those, those cell phone messages from passengers on those doomed planes to their loved ones weren't real. They were faked by CIA voice faking technology. And those people were 
you know, were led off the planes. People were just casually murdered by the government somewhere. Just imagine the details. No, they were put on an island. No, 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 Sam. No, my family members. I haven't heard that one. Inform me that they're on an island somewhere. Okay. I I think that. I think it is. It is less horrifying in the sense that you imagine yourself to be so powerful that only people like you, like it can only come from within the house. Only we could take down us. I think it is Mm. so much more horrifying to think that it could be anyone at any time. And we don't, we're not good at tracking them. We don't, we might not know where they're coming from because they really could be, you know, just a kind of a ragtag team. I think that is much more psychically just destabilizing in a way that, the very clear horror of a government conspiracy isn't. I don't know. I, I'm going to go with uh, <laughs> it's worse if Tom Hanks and Michelle Obama really are cannibalizing children, right? That's if if the world is that crazy, where the most famous and most scrutinized people on earth, you know, some of whom are and the and some of the most charismatic people. Uh, uh, the people at the top, highest status people in our society, are actually going to a pizza parlor basement and raping and wait, wait, you're not steel manning children. This, though I feel there's there's you know there, there are people think that way, people do think that, but right. I know yeah. I know. But there's there are way there are ways to spin it. I'm not okay. Now I'm going to sound like people are going to take a clip of this and they're going to say that I'm defending mm. this, but I'm I'm not. Um, I just think it's not a it's not as horrifying as. Uh, they're both. A, let's let's know. go with both are horrifying. Maybe they're differently horrifying, and I I mm. would just be more depressed by one of them. I mean, it almost has a like the flavor of a like a weird kink. Like a there's like a weird erotic mm. fetish aspect yeah. to it. Don't <laughs> well, you I've think actually, sometimes I've, I've called it the pornography of doubt in various moments because mm. there yeah. is this appetite for doubting everything, and. It's um, yeah, and people. There are certain people and and movements that cater to it, and it does have a kind of pornographic quality to it. It's, it's yeah, titillating. And, and the um, the obsession with uh, child sexual abuse. I mean, you saw. I mean, we we saw this with the satanic preschool panic. I mean, we've seen this for a long time, and, and it comes up with you know, obviously came up with Pizzagate. I sometimes wonder if the people kind of um, promulgating this have their own history of child sex abuse. I mean, I wonder how much of this comes from like personal trauma that's being mapped onto these larger concepts. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wouldn't have any intuitions about that, but it's certainly possible. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, I mean, the, the, the satanic panic thing, I, st- I still dimly remember that. And that was, um, and I'll never forget Lawrence Wright, the, uh, the author, when he was on my podcast, had this great story, which I've repeated many times. For forgive me if you've heard this before, but he was looking into this as a New Yorker writer, and he went to some training being offered by a police department, I think in Texas, where he lives. And uh, so he's a he's a cop, you know, to, to talking to journalists about the the scope of the the satanic cult problem in the United States. And he said that um, last year, fifty thousand children were murdered by satanic cults in the United States. And, mm-hmm. and Lawrence, it, just, it took him about three seconds to realize, wait a minute, there has not been a year in American history where there have been 50,000 murders of any kind recorded. And I'm, now I'm being told by a cop that 50,000 children were murdered last year by satanic cults. Uh, so something interesting is going on. You know, even, again, there, even with institutional 
capture of some kind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, you grew up in Southern California around that time, McMartin preschool and all that. Do you yeah. remember any of that stuff personally? I do. And and the truly corrupting thing about this and the, just the, the vagaries of human memory uh, and what is called um, in certain quarters of um, psychological science, the, the illusory truth effect, which is just the, 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 we have a bias toward believing things, even when we, even when you, those, those claims have been subsequently debunked, the debunking mm -hmm. tends to just kind of ramify the memory that the thing was true in the first place, right? You just sort of remember it being true. And I remember what it was like to go back. This is just a few years ago for, for some podcasts I was doing, I had to go back and revisit this, that, that particular conspiracy. And, and I, and I remember thinking you know, that there had been some truth to the McMartin preschool allegations, right? Like that's how it got lodged in my memory that, yeah, there was something, I, I don't remember, obviously it wasn't a satanic cult, but there was some ch sexual abuse of kids and people went to prison and, and it was just, so where there's smoke, there really is some fire, you know, certainly if there's that much smoke and no, it would, people went to prison for, it, it was com complete, a complete confection of you know, at least one mother who seemed to be schizophrenic and just these awful interview techniques of children. And, and people did go to prison, but no, there's zero evidence that anything happened. There. Yeah. And it doesn't seem as if we've learned anything. Like what, now how do we, how do we prevent it's, that from happening? Well, they don't interview kids like that anymore. I well, mean, it was a very, I mean, it, yeah. it did change um, investigative right. procedure. There, there, that was a, a watershed. They don't, I mean, the, the way that they were interviewing the kids would just shock you. Like, you know, if you've looked at it in, in 2024, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that sort of contagion. I mean, yeah, I think it, it was, it was a mother who had, you know, pretty serious mental health problems, just kind of showed up one day and decided to make an accusation of sexual abuse. And then it just like got out of control. And the children were saying that, you know, elephants were flying across the room and, you know, yeah. they were being yeah, yeah. taken down yeah. and chopped into pieces <laughs> and then put back. I mean, it's, it's a, like a remarkable kind of a, way of thinking about what the human brain is capable of yeah you know? but there in, in that particular case i mean there is a there is a sort of psychosexual you know weird dynamic there too but there's also a religious underpinning to some of these these conspiracies right so you can you can see people's christian sensibilities in many cases getting leveraged you know notions of you know satan right i mean there we forget yeah. that something like half the country thinks that Satan is real, like really real, not just a, a metaphor for human evil or, but like literally there are, you know, powers and principalities of darkness and, and there's a spiritual war that has to be waged against these things. And at any moment you could be lured into, into temptation, you know, we're, there are 14th century ideas that are still operative for many people. So imagine what that, what it's like to try to figure out whether kids are getting abused in a preschool Based, you know, based on satanic cult activity, when you think Satan is actually yeah. real, right? You got to yeah. just imagine that's a very different sort of search algorithm than mm -hmm. would be familiar to me or most people I know. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was, we've talked about, I've talked about this before. It was no accident that that stuff sort of started coming up in the eighties when you had middle-class mothers going back to work, there were more kids in day school, mm -hmm. it was day in daycare, it was a way of scaring parents. 
Um, it was, oh, there yeah. was kind of a, a perfect, it was a perfect storm for yeah, this yeah. kind of panic. Mm. And the, and the sort of guilt about putting your kids in daycare yeah, was exactly part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And mothers. Yeah. It was a feminist. I mean, you could make the argument that it was kind of a feminist backlash sort of thing. Huh. Sarah, this is right up your alley. You're always stressing about daycare. Now, now yeah. you definitely. Yeah, yeah. How many kids do you have in now, daycare Sarah? right now? <laughs> I have 10. Is that what we're going And they with are all yeah. the spawn of Satan. So Satan does exist. Right. And, and yet you're on this podcast. They must yeah. all be That's how here. satanic she, she is. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I want to shift a little bit. You know, I mean, here we are. We're recording this February. It's been, I don't know, several months now since October 7th. Um, I mean, you, you said something last fall in in one of your monologues, you, you know, it just about the the political response to to um, the attack and the just incredible, shocking response from the left. You said if, if anything good comes out of this outpouring of hate, you're talking about the anti-Semitism, if anything good comes out of this outpouring of hate and moral confusion, it will be the end of identitarian politics on the left. I think you said that maybe in November. Uh, how do you feel about that statement now? I, I feel like we, I, I think I, I do detect that we have reached peak woke and that the, the pendulum is, is swinging back in, in some sense. I mean, I, I there, I, did you, have you seen the film American Fiction? Yes. It just came out. Loved the, it. Yeah. I, I just, I watched part of, I, I started watching it last night, so I'm not done with it, but you know, just the fact that that got made seems like a very good sign to me. You know, it's yeah, just, but it's it was just made this, by all black people. It was made by all, all right. black. It was a black production, I will say. Yeah, I don't but think the, a white but the fact that a, yes. that a that a, a black team would want to produce a totally. film like that and that and they would do it and they would hit that hard against the these various shibboleths. I mean, it's just it's it's it's, it's a totally more mortifying critique of white liberal America. I mean, it's just brutal, right? You know, again, I have only seen the first, you know, 45 minutes or so, but I mean, there was one, when that, when that, uh, uh, black woman author launches into her reading of her book at that literary festival. I mean, I just, uh, that I just howled with laughter. I mean, it was just amazing. It nailed the publishing world. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is a, you know, industry run by white women who right. are uh, p- publishing a lot of these books. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So you're actually pretty sanguine about the direction that we're going in, despite despite the fact that the National Book Awards looks like some kind of united colors of performative yeah. um, something or other. Well, yeah. And, and, and I've got girls in school and, you know, my girl who's in high school now, I mean, what she's being assigned to read is just, it's, you know... I mean, there's only one book that I've ever recognized that she's she's been assigned to read. You know, she's now in in ninth grade. But like, it's it's, it's not uh, it's not Huck Finn and To Kill a Mockingbird in middle school anymore, or anything like that, right? It's all it's it's just, um, I mean, they're clearly it's a DEI has come for the 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 the, the canon, and it's. Um, it's all it's all recent it's all you know identity politics in some you know liter- literary or quasi literary form you know there there's a started you know the the summer reading before 7th grade was 
Ibram X. Kendi's battlerized, uh, you know, like the Ibram X. Kendi for tweens, you know, indoctrination <laughs> crap. Uh, I mean, it was, it was like just, the Twilight. And, and it was Ibram X. Yeah. Kendi Twilight edition. The, well, no, he, the, yeah, they they, they literally r- released a a simplified version of his all too simplified uh, thesis. How? How do you make that? Yeah. No, even my daughter pop recognized. Up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The uh, pop up, you're racist. Yeah. Um, but the um, even my daughter at that at the time recognized that the writing was terrible. I mean, it was just. It, but again, it was this is. It's unavoidable. There's really nothing you can do. So I, I get how parents are infuriated, uh, but I, you know, you got to pick your battles here. And um, yeah. Well, I think it's a, it's, the, I, it's I that can only generational hope eventually going to get educated. That generational shift that makes me like that's what I'm paying attention to. Megan and I disagree about things turning around. Megan, kind of, I think you're you're more you're more positive that at some point. Yeah, Sam's on my some side. point. Sam's on. Yeah, oh, so, you're on. Oh, so you're on give me your, we're give old. Me your pessimism. That's why it's because we're old. Let's hear it. Yeah, well, yeah. I, no, we're out of I, energy. I get... Yeah, we just <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Just lay down. We've been I do, exhausted. I do think it is it is true that um, liberals, like nice liberals of a certain generation are waking up i think you know generation x is waking up um those those people are starting to see it they didn't see it before they didn't understand how these ideas could be harmful or how they could you know you know turn into this kind of you know very parasitic (laughs) growth but um the 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 generate my generation millennials and uh, the generation under underneath us, I feel like this is their this is their normal though. You know, they don't even. Mm. It, it's an entirely different climate uh, when you you know sort of walk into walk into wokeism as you guys have growing up in a very different liberal uh, liberal norms kind of you know lifestyle. Saying our word all the time, right? You mm. I mean, you had a different world, and then you and then suddenly you're like, oh wait a minute, everything's changed. What's happened? Something's changed. But I don't that that's not how the, the the younger set view it. It hasn't changed. What's changed? What's liberalism? What does that look like? Hmm. They don't have anything to compare it to. Um, and I think that the division in the way that I've seen, you know, my older friends respond to um, uh, to to the war and to October 7th specifically and how I've seen yeah. younger people respond to it. That's alarming to me. That makes that, me yeah, think that there's a divide there. Pretty stark, yeah. Mm. I mean, that's that may be a, a, a special case, but yes, it's it's something like sixty-seven percent of people under the age of twenty-four are basically for Hamas. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's completely uh, it's it's very hard to even think about. But um, again, I'm not on TikTok, you know, even as a consumer. But I, I think something like the the ratio I heard reported that the ratio of pro to anti-Israel content is like uh, it's it's like fifty-six to one or something against Israel on TikTok, mm. um, and you know part of that's ju- just a natural consequence of of just the numbers of people. I mean, there are fifteen million Jews in the world and over two billion Muslims, right? So it's it's just like uh, if everyone's tweeting and texting and. TikToking and, and uploading their content to YouTube, you're going to you're going to see the Jewish voice swamped there. So that must account for some of it. But maybe on TikTok in particular, the 
CCP, CCP is gaming the algorithm or adjusting the algorithm. You, you don't know. Um, but it's, uh, there's just, I mean, in the American context, there's just this very straightforward equation of uh, the Palestinians uh, you know, are essentially, they're analogous to you know, African-Americans in, in, a, in, a, in the U.S. context. They're, you know, they're people of color who are being, um, you know, viciously oppressed by white, quote, white oppressors, right? And that's all, that, that's the schema, right? That's, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. people don't understand anything else about the region. They've never been there. They, they don't understand that the black-white distinction doesn't make any sense in that context. But that's they're filtering on the basis of, of of U.S. racial grievance politics. I think for the most part, mm -hmm. that doesn't I, it, quite explain what happens in the what happens in the U.K. and elsewhere. I think more. That, I mean, it's certainly and Sarah would be closer to this than I am. But I think there's more of a of a genuine Islamist presence in. I mean, we look at what happens in London, where you know three hundred thousand people get turned out. Explicitly in support of you know from the river to the sea, uh, and you know globalize the intifada. That's um, you know London has a problem that that U.S. City, most U.S. cities don't have with respect to just the, the sheer representation of people who who are, come from an Islamic background and have no real desire to assimilate to Western culture, and then they're viewing this this conflict very much through that lens. Mm -hmm. I think that's a different population, though, that, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the people who are supporting it for like ethno-nationalist reasons, that's a those are distinct. But the broad base of sympathy among Gen Z, I, I don't know if it's I think you, you caught it, Sam, which is that it, it it's it's not so much about race, though. I think it's just that general privilege oppression framework. Like mm -hmm. that's their that's their lens of understanding the world, not just race issues or this war, but of everything. And they do apply it to everything. But they, they don't apply it to Appalachia, right? Like they don't, they're not worried about the oxycodone addicted poor white people who right. don't have much opportunity, right? Because definitionally they are not, they, they don't count as oppressed. That's right. right but because the ra race is the backstop. Yeah, right. Yeah. They've, they've, they've defined their way out of that problem. Yeah. Um, but I, I think those, that's a very real um, sympathy. And I think that to some extent, it makes sense that young people would just be, would sympathize with that kind of worldview as, you know, you're young and you feel oppressed by your parents or, you know, authorities or whatever. So maybe you, right. um, you're seduced by it to some degree naturally, and maybe you'll grow out of it. But I do think that, that it is there. It feels as if something has shifted more broadly and maybe and something that's contributing to it is that there's a lack of a religious foundation that would provide a different kind of framework, not necessarily a better one or one that I would agree with more, but a different one in any case. Say more about so that. you're 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 wondering whether wokeism is drawing energy from the the, the vacancy of uh, of religion. Yeah, that it's a, lost. Is, lost it, their do you feel? Conviction? Do you feel? It, at times, do you feel as if um, the atheism movement has contributed to this problem? Um, 
Well, I wouldn't really put it that way. I mean, that that's to suggest that uh, atheism as a movement, as a political movement, or as a kind of an intellectual like publishing phenomenon, has mm-hmm. been so successful that it's unmoored. You know, a generation of people mm-hmm. who now are we're just ripe for the picking by by the next you know ideological capture that w- mm-hmm. became available, right? So, and I just don't think that I don't think that happened. I mean, yeah, there's been a, an impressive trend of secularization and 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 uh, loss of you know religious identity in the west um i don't think i don't think atheism you know overt atheism can take up that much credit for it um but uh i mean you know the churches were certainly capable of losing their subscribers all by themselves i think mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. i i i think it's, I mean, it's bigger than atheism. It's just right. secular culture it's is secular. lacking certain things that I think most people want and are right to want. Right. So, like when you mm-hmm. when you no longer believe in God and you lose your connection to a church or a synagogue or a mosque, um, you disavow all that. You're no longer you're no longer worried by the things you're supposed to be worried about. You know, you're not you're not worried you're going to go to hell. Um, and then you're just you're now you're living in this place trying to figure out how to be happy. You're there's a kind of an atomization that happens right now. Now you've lost your community, the, the community that that was really coherent around the variable of we're all afraid of hell together, right? You, you've lost that. You've probably been disavowed by those people, right? So you might have lost some real relationships. Um, and now you're just out in the big city trying to entertain yourself. Right and trying to figure out uh, what, you know, what what's the point of life and and you you're, you're working a job that you know you may or may not love and and so and now we've got screens everywhere and you've got a screen in your pocket that continually advertises to you so you, you can you can put your attention here 150 times a day um, and and uh, follow people on social media and so we're we're less. I, I think that the fabric of of a, a, co- a communal experience is is eroding, mm-hmm. uh, and re- loss of religion is a part of that. But I think there's also just a larger loss of you know we're we are kind of siloed with our devices more and more mm-hmm. of the time, and so that that's been happening since at least probably 2010. Um, I mean, it's probably 2015 where it really got worse and worse. Um, and so it's a, it's a larger problem, and I think we we do lack what without religion. Uh, there's nothing on the shelf you can grab that that where you can just you know you just add add water and you've got what seems to be a profound um, organizing principle for a community. Like like it's just well, it, it, you know, there are moments in life where this becomes clearly important, like. You know, somebody dies, and now what do you do? You got you got to have a funeral, right? So how do you do that? Who do you call, and what what happens? And if you bring people together, what does anyone say, and and why, and what's the, and without without religion, you're basically inventing that process for yourself, right? You're like there's some you know you just you're kind of making it up, and it it's not it's not near it's not as consoling as having a priest or a rabbi or an imam. Who really knows what they're doing? I mean, they one thing they do is they, they know how to do that. They know how to bury people. They know and they know what to say to an audience 
that really believes all the the nonsense, right? The consoling nonsense that gets said at moments like that. So and it takes it off of you. Some, you don't have yeah, to say the yeah. thing, right? You're not accountable. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's the worst. If if you're dealing with somebody who just died, and then you have to get up and be in charge of what to say, that's like an, yeah. an added burden. So these these roles are deeply necessary. Yeah. So something something is lost there, and um, and there are many things. I think we, we so people are are finding their togetherness and their their um, profundity in, in really piecemeal ways, and it's not. It just hasn't. You, you can't point to it in, in a way that is satisfying. You can't say, "Okay, go to this building on a Sunday." And it's you're, you're going to be blown away by how how profound it is, right? You know, people go to conferences. I'll go to you know TED once a year, and and they try to get some some sense of the non ordinary out of that. Um, but no, I, I I think it's not it's not you know none of none of what we're doing is good enough, really. I think we want more than that, and so there is a this vacancy left by the 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 um, the loss of faith that is happening pretty much throughout the, 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 you know, the the Western world. And uh, so, but I, I I really can't credit obnoxious atheism of my sort with that, with that change. I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, we've changed some, some minds, but it's just not, I think it's a, it's a bigger process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. Um, generally, I do think though, that you pointed to the, what's happened with individuals and communities and, the alienation that that has created socially. But do you, would you say, and this is just something I've been thinking about and I don't know how I feel about it. Um, but one of the more disturbing thoughts that has um, been cropping up in my mind more recently, especially when I look at very secular derangements, um, uh, things that I see as being potentially far more harmful than the religion that I grew up with and like what, even, even maybe, well, I, w I would say trans issues, okay. specifically mm. gender stuff. Um, it, but, but looking into that and, and seeing with my own eyes, how very sensible people can just within a matter of months be convinced of something that they would have found ludicrous a year ago um, mm. uh, and, and then make huge changes in their lives and, 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 and transform their bodies in a permanent way. Um, it, it, it made me lose faith, I guess, in human reason or capacities for mm. reason. And so I'm left with, um, the sense that, well, old religion is bad. You know, these ancient religions are bad but new religions might be worse and yeah. secularism to the extent that it leaves this void um, opens up the path for these more horrifying new religions. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know about worse. I mean, that was the first half of our conversation with Sam Harris. There is just about a whole other hour more and you can hear it. If you become a paying subscriber to do that, go to aspecialplace.substack.com and join our listener community. You're not going to want to miss this second half. We get Sam to talk about all kinds of salacious stuff, including gender, which he rarely talks about, 
being a cat dad, and wait for it, being a Swifty. That's right. Sam took his daughters to his Taylor Swift concert. What did he think of it? Find out by becoming a paying subscriber again at a special place.substack.com. He also answered listener questions. Um, and those listeners are paying subscribers. So you should become one too. Thanks for your support. And we hope you enjoyed the episode. <laughs>